Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to more reviews for The Mandalorian Season 3 and The Bad Batch Season 2. We're going to dive into both The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2, The Minds of Mandalore, and The Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 12, The Outpost. Before we do so, though, please hit that like button. Help us get to around 40 likes on this video. It really help us out with the algorithm. And subscribe for more Mandalorian and Bad Batch content. We have a ton of stuff coming out for all of you. We are giving you predictions for both Bad Batch and The Mandalorian every single time new episodes are coming out, as well as reviews for these episodes same day on Wednesdays when they drop. So make sure you're checking out our reviews. We also have been covering a lot of book stuff recently. We just did a review for Jedi Battle Scars, the highly anticipated prequel book to Jedi Survivor. Make sure you check out our review of that. That dropped on Monday. And then also we are reviewing finally Heir to the Empire on our channel on Monday. We'll talk about Heir to the Empire. We've talked about it so many times in non-review format that we're looking forward to talking about it in a review format. All right, let's get into these episodes. So we're going to start off with The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2, The Minds of Mandalore, a very aptly <laughs> used title because most of this episode takes place in The Minds of Mandalore. And we got some really cool Easter eggs across the entire episode. Not just uh, the reintroduction of R5D4, but also uh, Mythosaur at the end. Like, there's some there's some cool things in here. There's a lot to talk about. Sonic, what were your overall thoughts on The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2? I think I've been a bit more of a defender of the premiere episode as like, hey, we have to treat Season 3 after this much of a gap, but not everyone watching The Book of Boba Fett or even being happy with The Book of Boba Fett compared to how their experiences were with the first two seasons of Mandalorian. This is like a soft reboot. This is a catching up to speed for casual fans and diehard alike. And this is the episode where it's like, well, let's kick things into gear. This is what we want to focus on. This is what the story is going to be. And yeah, Minds of Mandalore is a very direct title. It is exactly that. We are in the minds. This is not something I expected to just almost complete uh within this episode i thought for me that a lot of like this cleansing and like asking for forgiveness and all that that was going to be completed maybe episode four here it's like he's done he's he's, he's about to do it until he's dragged underwater it's, it's it's a relatively simple episode there are some cool things like we do see mandalore is glassed and that visual design that they've been employing on posters and everything wonderfully brought to life i already thought the surface looked amazing but sundari and seeing like half decayed half destroyed that's probably the best looking set design production design all the different angles sometimes from a cliff sometimes on the ground level sometimes going up and down this is the volume maximized this is the mixing of physical sets put to the max this is also an episode where we really let Bo-Katan evolve. I think there is a level of her characterization in season two that is overtly simplistic of, hey, she's like a good bad guy or a bad good guy. I don't know. Let's let us let you figure that out or choose what you want. Here, it's like, well, let's let her be a bit of like a walking lore dump at times. She is explaining things that happen on Sundari on the planet referencing the siege of mandalore which was amazing and not to just din but to grogu which i thought was very fun there's also a lot there that's built up about her father about mandalorian the great the first mandalore whether or not she really believed in this living waters even though she's participated in the ceremonies 
a big absence of not really mentioning her sister. And I know in the Clone Wars, people are quite aware after season five of that familial connection. Here, I think for the greater galaxy and amongst the other Mandalorians, maybe they don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering details here. But she very consciously felt like she was just not mentioning. She's like, oh, yes, I was a wonderful princess. All all my duties and all that. But a civil war broke out. And one of the biggest players in that civil war was your sisters. But outside of that, the action was really great. That mech droid was really freaky. Turns out it's like a cyborg, almost General Grievous-like. Very insectoid-like in general. Just seeing with Din and his struggles with the Darksaber. And Bo-Katan just... Just bossing it up with the native species and the mech. But for me, I think the biggest thing I was like shook by throughout this whole episode was just how fast the editing is. Because yeah, we start off on Tatooine with Pelimoto. Like that's that's the thing that just happens so quickly. And you're like, okay, here's that's why we have R5. We just have so many wipes and just different transitions that felt very Clone Wars-y, very much like George Lucas in Attack of the Clones, where he just wipe after wipe after wipe. And it was a fun episode, don't get me wrong, but I was not expecting that speed of it. And I was also not expecting, the biggest thing for me was Grogu being like almost like a babbling infant toddler. He is now his own character. He is driving the story himself. He is emoting more so than just reacting. And it's wonderful. It's just not something I was ready to just have all at once it was i was like oh maybe we'll like lean into that more and more but i i just wasn't expecting it all to happen in this much of a stuffed episode yeah that's true the editing is definitely really quick this episode is directed by rachel morrison who is the dp behind black panther and dope mudbound those types of things so she's been a director a few times on tv episodes but never directed any film so i would assume in terms of budget and uh, effects and stuff this is definitely the biggest scale thing she's ever directed i thought she did a good job and uh, the the visuals were fantastic especially for uh, you both using the volume i i still am marveled by the way the mandalorian has been able to use the volume for the most part and make this world feel so big in contrast to obi-wan kenobi which i think a lot of times uses the volume and makes everything feel really small and i think she did a great job with so many really dark scenes and, and it was lit very well all of it looked fantastic i agree completely about bo katan i we talked about in our predictions how she seems to in all the marketing be kind of billed as the code lead of this season or at least the first supporting character of the entire season and i'm glad she made a return in this episode and was not just in it but kind of got to do things we didn't get to see her do in the first season we heard a lot about her failures in season two and this time we get to see her use her blasters take down people in hand-to-hand combat use her wrist shield use her jetpack use the dark saber and actually look very, very competent with the dark saber where Din, we've seen him use it many times. And although he's been effective with it, he, when he fights people who know how to fight, he's not necessarily the best with it because he's still learning. So I like that we show that Bo-Katan is the seasoned warrior that she's, Din is just not at her level with the dark saber yet. And it makes it even more like scary that she was able to lose it Pelly in this episode, Pelly's always an interesting character, and I like small doses of her like this. I prefer that type of thing. First thing I wrote down in my notes, actually, pretty funny, was uh, 
Tatooine speeders in that opening shot looked really good compared to Boba Fett. But I like the inclusion of R5-D4. It feels a little Mandalorian season one-ish where like, okay, let's bring in all these things from the original trilogy and make them part of the universe again. It's like when we did 8-D8 in Book of Boba Fett. But I do appreciate giving a little bit of backstory to like these these characters who really only existed in our minds when we we're children from the toys. Uh, R5-D4, I, I like the reference to his serving with the Rebellion as well. Uh, maybe maybe a little nod to like the uh, tale story of him as a Force-sensitive droid, uh, Skippy. So <laughs> yeah, and, and another little tidbit that we got, and I don't know if this was ever confirmed before, but Din mentions that he is from Concordia, which makes him actually Mandalorian and not just a, a foundling from another group of people. He is actually a Mandalorian. So I thought that was another cool tidbit from this episode. The end uh, with the mythosaur possibly dragging Din down. We don't get to see it. It's kind of just floating in the water when Bo-Katan goes by it. Doesn't try to stop her from saving him. Just getting to see an actual mythosaur on screen after, you know, so many references over and over and over again across all three seasons was great. And I went back to the recap before the episode and i gotta stop watching these recaps because it kind of spoils what's going to happen uh but the recap showed the moment with uh, the armor talking about the mythosaur and she says the songs of eons past foretold the mythosaur rising up to herald a new age of mandalore so that seems to be what we're seeing in the end of this episode seems like you know We've all predicted this, pretty much every Star Wars fan's predicted this for season three of The Mandalorian. We're going to unite the Mandalorians around in. We have Bo-Katan say it already in this episode multiple times. She says the greatest failure of The Mandalorians is that they are fighting each other and not teaming up as one. So I'm very excited to see how the emergence of the Mythosaur, the fact that Bo-Katan has seen it, the fact that it's such an important symbol to the children of the Watch, now that Din, like you mentioned, has already completed his quest, he's bathed in the mines of Mandalore, in the living waters. All of this is accomplished, and we've seen so many things from the trailer already. That's more for the prediction video. We'll get into that later, but I am I thoroughly enjoyed what this episode gave us. And as for world building and lore building around the Mandalorians, I can't wait for this to give us more and more. Honestly, I'd love an episode of this show to just go all the way back to before the the Mandalorian purge during the time of Mandalore the Great. Let's just see a scene or something during the time before all of this, when they were fighting the Jedi. I would love to see that. That's going to do it for our coverage of the Mandalorian. But let's talk about the Bad Batch, because last week we talked about how the Bad Batch returned to form. This week, the Bad Batch kept that form going. We had a finally a crosshair episode. It's only our second crosshair episode of the entire season. And this one, again, is solely focused on crosshair. But The Outpost was another phenomenal episode, and it does a great job of continuing the clone story that we've been hoping this show will get back to. We're back to it, and this had so many great moments. I really loved this episode. Sonic, what were your thoughts on The Bad Batch Season 2, Episode 12, The Outpost? I think I was a little bit overhyped from what I was reading, and all the people who had seen these first 14 episodes, they were like, this is like the best. This is the one. This is like top clone story outside of Jedi and what uh, if this is solely Clone Wars style story with just the clones it's like the best thing since Zimbara and I was like whoa this is an episode where 
I was expecting it to be very one-off, and it is. It is just mostly about how the Empire has fully just made Crosshair one of its tools. We have our clones repeating some of the same lines as before, were once like rallying points, and the Lieutenant from the start is just like, ugh, more clones, like... I can't deal with this whole this, and he's incompetent in so many ways but this episode deals with raiders and this far outpost once they arrive crosshair and this lieutenant they find out there's one commander and two members left of his squad and they are like the first casualties of another raid leading this final clone, clone commander mayday who i think is definitely up there for me as like one of our introduced clones for perspectives on the imperials up there with a Hauser, definitely a step up from like a Wilco. And he also had that very depressed humor. It's like, ah, this could blow off your foot during like the pressure mine scene. But I'm I'm not dumb enough to be here. I'll go around the corner. If you live, you live. It's like, oh man, you've really been living out here on the edge of nowhere. It's Crosshair just evaluating again once more how he's being used. Whereas his episode with Cody, you can still say like, yeah, that clone troopers fighting together doing these missions and then having it unfold into like a political mess where they take the fall the brunt of everything that's gone wrong in that episode and the tk troopers get to do cleanup duty and are protected this is an episode where it's like yeah sure the tk troopers came in and did their job but the clone troopers here man we don't even want you anymore we we want to get rid of you you are disposable that's what no one repeats at the end the animation was incredible i didn't expect to see ever like well done avalanches in star wars i remember season one and all that and they tried to they kind of got away with it here it was like wow you could see like it powdered blanketed on them crosshair just struggling having some sort of like reignition of like i want to keep my brothers alive i want to do something for mayday here just crack but then that tag at the end he's on wayland i don't know what's going to happen what the doctor is going to do we have the assistant that we've been seeing since season one they're they're doing some crazy things there on that mount tantus operations just the possibilities of what's happening here in the bad batch and possible heir to the empire this is an episode i didn't expect to really continue that story but it's it's built up quite well with enough of just like a two minute segment yeah absolutely i cannot wait to see how tantus continues to be used throughout this show and how it'll eventually connect i mean we're talking so right now we're getting into the heart of the mount tantus wayland story that's been big part of the last two episodes we only have three episodes or three weeks left before the finale so we are getting into the meat of the bad batch story but at the same time we've talked all year about this there is not really a coincidence that the mandalorian and the bad batch are crossing over if there are any types of connections between tantus in this show and with the mandalorian it seems like we're building up to not only make mount tantus a place that like star wars fans know but it's an actual location of huge import in this show and maybe that translates over to the uh, to Mandalorian. But back to this episode, I think this is a, a great episode. I think last week's was a little better, in my opinion. That's not to say that this wasn't a great one. I think one thing we underestimated when we've talked about Crosshair in the past is we saw his relationship with the Bad Batch deteriorate last season. But that entire time when he was away from the Batch, he was surrounded by regs. And, you know, even though he 
only started to embrace them in moments that we've seen this season. He was really, you know, a part of the clones in their entirety of their downfall and where Crosshair always remained useful. And that's why he kind of was able to ignore some of the things that were being done to his brothers in the past. I think now that Crosshair in this episode, when you see him finally get it thrown into his face that, you know, we don't care about you anymore. That's when he eventually snaps. It takes all the way for that to happen, but he gets to witness so many different things happen to his clone brothers. And now it's all falling apart for him. And I really like to see that progression of his character. I think one thing this episode did for me though, that made me, you know, a little bit even more disappointed with the way some of the episodes previously before these last two have gone is the fact that we didn't get to see what mission he was doing with the clone uh, commander that he was assigned to at the end of episode three. So like Crosshair has been around on Coruscant or at least doing missions around Coruscant for the entire season. We haven't seen his perspective once until now. So I, that's another thing that like gets me back on the like, I don't know why they paced the season out this way. It's funny you mentioned that episode from season one of The Clone Wars. I think it's called Trespass. It's one of my favorite standalone episodes from season one. It's a really great juxtaposition for this episode, not just with the visuals, but also with the fact that when when you watch that episode, you see Rex and the rest of the clones in like full snow trooper regalia, like full on snow battle gear. And here, I love the design of these clones who have just been left to rot. They're like, their their armor is just standard stormtrooper armor, and they're wrapping like gauze around their arms, trying to stay warm. It's it's a really cool design. Like that is one of the coolest designs I've seen. But it also really is emblematic of the way the Empire's just left these guys to rot. They don't care about them at all. And I I thought one of the great ironies of the whole episode is that they are protecting TK armor. Like that's a, that's a great ending that I didn't really see coming. I thought they were going to be protecting like some type of bomb or some cloning, uh, uh, cloning material. That's going to go to Tantus, you know, anything like that, but not, not just standard armor. It's not even important. It's just, it's just helmets and, and chest plates, not even anything of importance. And these guys have been risking their entire existence, just sitting here waiting for somebody to come pick it up. And I thought that added to the whole irony of this episode. It was it was really great. And I cannot wait to see where Crosshair goes from here. And we will be talking about that in our predictions and speculation. Our predictions and speculation for the Bad Batch are coming out on Sundays now. And our Mandalorian predictions and speculation are coming out on Friday. So make sure you check out both of those episodes of predictions and speculation. Make sure you're liking this video, commenting below, letting us know what you thought of both of these episodes, and also subscribing to the channel if you haven't. We're going to continue to give you more and more of this type of content, and we will be covering both of these shows in their entirety every single week. We are doing Legends Book Club on Monday for Heir to the Empire, like we mentioned multiple times throughout this video, so make sure you're checking that out. And of course, Jedi Fallen Order live streams and Q&As every single Friday. We play the game and answer your questions live. Make sure you tune into the streams every Friday. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next time.